This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to McDelivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to The Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Hello, Tommy. Hi, how are you? I am very well, and thank you for agreeing to take part. Yeah. I mean, originally this is going to be just your normal ex-player conversation with a former youth player. Then when I was doing my research, I was like, well, hang on. Tommy's a Swindon fan, so I want to know what on earth, <laughs> and that's what we like to hear. So we're gonna we're gonna put in a bit of a my eleven twist on this as well because you are a young guy. We can't talk about like a decade's worth of, of Swindon Town memories because no. because you are but a lad. But we can certainly talk about Tommy the player and Tommy the fan, and we're gonna start with the fan. So so you are a Swindon fan from birth. What on earth possessed you? Obviously, growing up, my dad used to go and watch Swindon, um, and my grandparents as well, my mum, and uh, I don't know, it just sort of, I didn't really have any other choice, I didn't really support, I just really enjoyed football when I was younger, like sort of 3-4, um, sort of like playing it in the house with like my dad and my sister and that, and then uh, when I was five or six, my dad took me to my first Swindon game, but ever since then, like, I don't know, it's only been sort of Swindon. I've never really had any interest in any other clubs. Um, and yeah, I don't know what came over me because it's been <laughs> difficult at times supporting Swindon, but <laughs> definitely worth it. And thus proving that you can be a teenager of the modern times and not 
support a Premier League team as well as Swindon Town? It is possible. Well, that's the thing. Like, a lot of like a lot of my mates support obviously bigger sides, and when people ask who do you support, and you say Swindon, they're like, yeah, but who do you support in the Premier League? <laughs> but I always look at it like, would you rather watch a team on telly, or would you rather watch like a five-all in the playoffs like against Sheffield United? And, like, I think it's so much different when you actually get to go every week and. Um, like all your family support the same club it's not just supporting the biggest team it's supporting your team almost and that's sort of I've really enjoyed that part of it because some of the experiences and the memories as well of watching Swindon like you won't have if you support like a Man United or a Liverpool Yeah I completely agree and and I always used to argue when I was a kid like there's no difference between supporting Swindon Town and Liverpool or Manchester United. We're still supporting like 11 players plus and we all idolise them. It's just instead of, you know, millions of people idolising this player, we have just a bit more of a niche market. We've got, <laughs> yeah. you know, thousands as opposed to tens and hundreds of thousands, things like that. But but do you remember your first game? I remember it quite clearly, yeah, because I remember going with my dad and it was uh, MK Don's at home. <laughs> The year we got promoted from League Two, I, I think, I'm not sure if Dennis Wise is still the manager in that game. It might have been because it was quite early on. And uh, Paul Lintz played for Swindon. And I remember it was 2-1. And I remember my dad saying to me, like, um, I thought we were just going to go and, like, I was half preparing for you not to be interested. And, like, because, you know, what, like, young kids, you can sort of daydream and things. But he said, like, from the minute the whistle went, I was just staring at the pitch. And, like, I just couldn't take my eyes off it and then obviously from there that season I went to a few more games and yeah that first game was amazing because I think obviously I didn't realise at the time but looking back I think there was like eight and a half thousand now on a Tuesday night and yeah. for a League 2 game like you probably won't see that very often and it, yeah I just remember like looking back now and it was just a really good experience and definitely something that I'm going to remember hopefully for a long time yeah absolutely and they're there just by saying that you know your first game was in 2006 gives an idea of how old you are it was certainly yeah. it was certainly during the Dennis Wise era so Dennis Wise um, was still manager and back then in the early days of Milton Keynes Dons I mean it's kind of it's faded now amongst the football community, but for whatever reason, Swindon really latched on to the loathing of the creation of that team, and it was quite spicy. Not like fisticuffs, but there was definitely venom. And I remember even reading comments from MK Dons fans over in recent years saying that Swindon really sort of seemed more offended than others. Um, and I'm sort of proud of that in many ways. Um, MK yeah. Dons were all. I think they were the rivals that year for us and we denied them promotion. So, you know, points winning that penalty um, yeah. did us a favour, really, because it, it, it all ma- they all count those points, don't they? So 2006-07 season, straight in on a promotion season. Um, so not too bad. But the thing that I always think, again, like when I started following Swindon, I didn't start supporting Swindon for the glory. I went because my dad went and... When I started going, they just so happened to be at championship level. They just so happened to be managed by Ozzy Ardiles. But they could have been in the conference or National League for all I care. I, I love going to watch Swindon Town and nothing else really mattered. But you guys, I, born after you know our last relegation from championship level, I just sit here and I often think to myself, 
what keeps you involved? It's a bit different for you because you've played for it, but we've had some absolute turgid years um, in the 21st century. But you kids, you keep coming back, and I love you for it. But what is it? Uh, I think, like you said, you don't really care what level. Like when I was going to my first game, I didn't really. Um, like I wouldn't have known if Swindon were in the Champions League or League Two. It's just like going and watch football and because I was so obsessed with football, like any football that was on, or like going and watch my dad or watching England or whoever. I just like, really enjoyed it, and it just happened that obviously because I was there supporting a team properly for the first time, it was just something that stuck. And seeing like obviously that year it helped that we got promoted, but seeing like on the final day everyone celebrating together, it was just like something that you want more of and it was just unbelievable like and it was a team that I felt an instant connection to because obviously my dad was a supporter and so my grandparents and it was just like I'm sort of glad it happened that way yeah um but yeah definitely through obviously a fair few relegations and seeing a lot of players that Swindon <laughs> have had over the years that don't really they didn't really want to be there and they wasn't good enough to be there basically um it definitely is difficult when you see that but then for every year like that you get a year like last season or under the Canyon or under Danny Wilson that sort of remind you why you support Swindon. Yeah. Um, and seeing players like obviously Charlie Austin and things like that go on to play in the Premier League, you always look at them, I don't know about you, but you look at them and think, oh, I remember when he played Swindon, it's quite a nice thing to have and look at and it just makes you glad that you're part of that era of supporting Swindon, really. Yeah, it's always nice to root for the uh, for the alumni, isn't it? Is there is there a Swindon Definitely. player who have got, who's gone on to better things that... You, you haven't had that connection with. Yeah, Aidan Flynn. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's um, it's tough with Aidan, oh, isn't it? Do you know what it looked like? The season we got promoted under the canyon, I had him on the back of my shirt. <sighs> because, I don't know, I think it was because obviously he came from non-league and he did quite well for us. And, he, and then I just thought, he scored the header at Brentford in the playoffs. Mm. And it was just like, one of the moments you think, oh, like, he cares, he genuinely wants to play for Swindon. And then, like, a few months later, he scored for Bristol City against us. And it was just the way he acted, like, the way he spoke about Swindon after that, I thought, I was like, no, I'm not I'm not having that. Like, And it's people that, like, if you go to a rival who are in a higher league and, obviously, at the end of the day, football's about money and things like that and people have got to make a living. Like, if, he went, if Bristol City were in the Premier League and he went, I'd think, oh, fair enough. But they was in our division, they just got relegated and he went there and I just thought, like, and the way he acted, I just thought, oh, no, he's not for me. Yeah, I think a lot of, of, other than obviously the Bristol City element, a lot of what was so disappointing about Aidan Flint's exit was that we were getting the best out of him finally. You know, he, he had a yeah. slowish start. Decanio sort of put him in and out. He played a lot more than, than you'd think in, in the League Two Championship season. But there was always this feel that he needed a senior defender by his side to really get the most out of him. And I think Bristol City felt that as well. You know, his first season at Bristol City wasn't great. And then then he just became like a, a, a club legend for them. And then there was the no, 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 which, to be fair, I never really blamed him for because it was a stupid question by the yeah, guy who was working for Sky Sports that night. And it just created a whole thing. And... It just he was scoring hat tricks for him, you know, and it was just yeah. come on. It just because that season we capitulated at the end. Obviously, we got to Wembley still, but we still didn't make it. And he just got Bristol City just got stronger and stronger that season, and it was just awful. Especially being Bristol based like I am, it was just bloody awful to see. Um, yeah, definitely because I'd, it just seems a way, doesn't it? Like if we had signed a 
and someone from a rival. They won't be scoring hat tricks for us. No, absolutely not. Do you know what I mean? It's just a Swindon thing that you got. And yeah, like you said about the question from the guy who's working with Sky, he sort of set him up because he knew he probably knew that the way the game was, obviously where it's quite feisty and. Um, he probably knew that Aidan Flint was going to say something like that. <laughs> After the game, uh, Swindon fans were chanting a quite disparaging a um, little ditty um, to Aidan during that interview, and yeah. that's what he was responding to. So it's kind of a fair do's, but that yeah, you know, you fair know, enough. It yeah, is what it is. What, yeah, during that game, I think Branco hit him, didn't he? Was it him from a corner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, that's fair, <laughs> fair enough. Um, yeah, it's just one of them. It's a bit disappointing, because like, if we. In the same sort of, if you look at it in a different way, if we was in that position of going to win the league and say if Nathan Thompson did that interview, it might have been the other way around. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. From the way he celebrated against them, and I just think, like, don't get it wrong, it's fair enough, he's obviously trying to win some sports up, but as a Swindon fan, you're just like, oh, that's the last thing you want to hear. Well, they, they were super pumped because we beat them um in in the first game didn't we at the county grounds yeah. um and i was it was something on twitter recently about that and i mentioned that that nathan thompson got in a bit of bother because um <laughs> because of his because he had the audacity to jump in front of their fans he got yeah. three complaints to the police for that um from bristol <laughs> city fans which probably says everything you need to know but i'm sure that aiden flint was also a hero at that time because you are you are a center back right yeah, I am. Yeah, no, when he was at Swindon, also I looked up to him because he, he was scoring goals and he obviously got us promoted and then into the playoffs. And I thought, obviously, I really liked him as a player. Um, but then, I don't know, I just, he's one of those people I don't, I've just grown to dislike just because of what happened, really. It's probably it's not, like, nothing, obviously, personal. It's just the way things happened. I was just like, oh, no, not for me. Deep delivery. And it's back across goal. And it's off the line. Incredible. Swindon players were celebrating, the bench was celebrating, but the ball didn't cross the line. Is it Shaden Logan on the line? It certainly is. What an incredible clearance, because he's actually stepped off the post that he was marking. And it goes again, this time it's in! Aidan Flint! Swindon Town have rescued it! And Brentford are on the floor in their own backyard again! At what age... Did you start showing the the potential to be able to make it within the the youth system like Swindon Town has? So obviously, when I was like age six, was when Swindon sort of like come to watch a tournament I was playing in, and then they sort of like spoke to my parents and things to get me up training with Swindon for the under sevens and under eights because at that age you can still play for your local team mm. as well and. When I was playing for my local team, I was playing like right midfield or centre midfield. And then for Swindon, I was playing like centre back or left back or whatever. And I can't really tell, but I think um, when I was in the under eights and things out, I was always, like when it comes to the games, I was always quite relaxed and quite confident. And I think I really, when I'm confident, I think I play really well. And it was just from there that I was just, obviously, as well, playing for Swindon, it just meant quite a lot more. And uh, I'd just say through the age groups, like sort of from eight to 12, I'd always say out of the age group, I was probably one of the stronger players. And then went through a stage of when I was like between 14 and say 15, I had like a growth spurt and I was just, like my confidence had gone and I wasn't really playing very well. And I was actually like thinking about leaving Swindon because I just wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. 
Um, but then I sort of got through that, and I'd probably say when I was sort of 12, 13 is when I sort of realised that I'd sort because when you're young, you don't really look at like the youth team and things like that and think because you think it's so far away. But then when I sort of got into secondary school, I started thinking about it a bit more, and that's probably when I realised that I could actually have a chance of sort of progressing through the um, age groups at Swindon. Six years old, a hell of a yeah. young age, isn't it? That is just, is, yeah. that's nuts. I, th- I think you put it on Twitter yourself, you know, you've got your uh, your sort of action pick from that time, you know, where the photographer comes in and they ask you to kick a ball or whatever. And, yeah, you know, nerve-wracking experience. Because <laughs> you're the youngest ones, everyone, every age group from under sevens to under 18 is watching. And obviously, the only thing you're thinking about is, ah, oh, if I fall over here, everyone's gonna go, everyone's gonna rip into you. But it's not too bad. But it is a nerve-wracking experience more than you'd think. <laughs> Just the very thought of being nervous of getting mocked at six or seven years old is enough for me to be just like this ain't this ain't gonna work for me. Yeah, that's the thing. Like when you're in a academy, you've got to be really thick-skinned because obviously you get told things that from some coaches that you probably shouldn't be getting told at different ages and things and you've got to be so because obviously it's a brutal sort of industry that you're going into you've got to be so fixed in so if in that sort of scenario it probably did me a favor being so young and being in that environment because it taught me to like not really care and to take things in the right way yeah i think some some people that come in a bit later they i don't know i just think they're probably not ready to be told quite brutally and quite honestly um what people think of them and it probably helped me being so young and being in such an intense environment I think. Almost as if like if you go in there early and you're part of the furniture you, you sort of trust the the sort of blunt comments more than if you came in at 14, 15 and yeah. you, it's, it's more of a baptism of fire I suppose so you're more immune to the system at a young age. A little, a little bit yeah and it's just like I got to an age where I was like oh you just know where, because sometimes obviously people say things to you that just to get a reaction or just to like push your buttons and things like that. And you realise when you've been there from so young, you just realise when they're trying to do it and you just realise to sort of not listen to it and just get on with it. Because a lot of times people, what people are saying to you is only to get a reaction. It's no, and in fact, it's never going to be personal. Yeah. So you've just got to crack on with it because if you let things out above you, then you haven't, I'd say you haven't got a chance of making it through a, an academy system. How many kids, without naming names, obviously, how many kids just couldn't take that in your time at Swindon? Loads. Just thinking of, like, so there's a photo. Even when I was, like, I think under 14s, there's only two two of us that made it through to the youth system. Yeah. So, obviously, that's, that's what, three, four years of people dropping out. And in my, like, under 18 photo, there's, like, 26 people, and then a few made it through each year. But it's... People honestly do when they get put under pressure, they do really crumble. And it, they do like it happened to me when I was sort of fourteen, and I was really on confidence that some of the coaches are really trying to like push me and almost not force me out, but force me to like improve and force me to sort of get on with it. And like it would have been quite easy for me to just leave and think, ah, oh, like swimming for me. But it was one of those things where I just thought, I've been there since I was six. I'm so close to like getting into the youth team. Things out. Like I'm so close to making it through the academy, which is what I wanted Like when I started. I just wanted to see how long I could take it. And I just thought that if I let people sort of push me out and take away almost what I've sort of dreamt of, then it, it's not worth it. So I just had to sort of knuckle down. And luckily, I was I had the people around me, like 
my parents and I had the right mindset where some people just think it's a bit too difficult for me now, I'm just going to stop. And even though obviously I didn't make it into the first team, to get from age six to age 18 in the same academy, um, I think you've got to be quite thick-skinned and I think some people unfortunately weren't that I've played with yeah. in the past. Yeah, you, you mentioned your parents there. So, I mean, obviously you're local to Swindon, that would be fair, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I live in Highworth, yeah. There we go. So you're you're a local lad. And, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I've mentioned, you know, parental sacrifices quite yeah. often. How, how much was that for you guys? Massive, obviously, when you're playing games. Obviously, when you're only under sevens, under eights, training one night a week. Um, so... Again, parents have to obviously maybe come out of work and things like that, but it's doable. And then when you start playing games, when you're playing Plymouth away, Exeter away, if you're playing any of the bigger sides, like the Premier League sides, they will tend to be up north of Liverpool, both Manchester sides. And your parents have to take time out of their day, take time off work to take kids to training or games. And uh, it's also not even that, it's just like the mental side of it, because you are going to have times where you come home from training or come home from a game and say so if you struggled in the game, you're going to be caught down on yourself and it's their job to try and pick you up without... Because, again, I've seen a lot of people and I know of a lot of people in the academy whose parents have either not realised that their kid is struggling and just think everything's fine, which is a problem in itself, or they're too hard on them. Yeah. And my parents got the balance perfect because my dad obviously likes, watches football, played football, he knows football, and he always knew. If, say, if I had a bad game, he would never tell me straight away because I already knew I already knew that I had a bad game and I'm, I'm one of those people if I've, I'm aware I'm not deluded I'm, I know if I've done the wrong or had a bad game and I don't need telling twice he would know that so he'd be like leave it for a few hours and then be like oh next week maybe you could try and just try to encourage me like that and my mum was just always there for like taking me to training and things like that and just being a real help but again if, if I was struggling they'd always talk to me and like make you realise that you still want to do it and how important it is to you because I think that's really important to have two people that know what what's best for you in a way because they know how you feel about obviously the club and how you feel about football and obviously I had people within the academy like coaches who I could trust because obviously I've been there from a young age and also um, people in other age groups like Luke um, Haynes was obviously a year older so I sort of knew what to expect because he'd always tell me and we'd share lists to train on the things and he'd sort of always make sure I was right and things like that and things that are massive really important because I don't know if you saw um the lad from Man City did you see he um passed away recently yeah yeah. just been released and like I think that's a prime example of needing an outlet and being willing to speak up because it's so sad what's happened and that shouldn't be the way and I just it just makes feel awful because a lot of people there's probably a lot of people that will end up in a similar situation and it's the worst thing imaginable and I just wish that clubs and there were more outlets for people to speak to because that uh, no matter what age you might get released you are going to struggle and you're going to need help and I just feel so sorry for obviously the person and all the people that knew him because to be at Man City you've clearly got to be a talented footballer but it's just a shame that there was no other support there for him from the club and from the PFA and things to help him through it yeah. and I think obviously your parents do all they can and I'm sure he had the support from his parents and his peers but sometimes you need more than that you need professional helps to speak to someone just get it off your chest because having someone listen to you and listen to your problems especially about such a big issue is so important and I'm just I'm just devastated but obviously that it got to that because he was obviously a talented person who could have had a big future and obviously 
it's been taken away, unfortunately. Hi, this is Yasser Kasim, and you are tuning in to the Load Strangers podcast. Who were you coached by, and who were your biggest influences during that time? I was coached by, when I was younger, Nutty or Jeremy Newton. I've heard a few people mention him on here. Um, he's now at Southampton, but he was math, like a massive influence for me. He'd always, I think it was different for me. I, I know some lads who didn't get on with him and who don't have the relationship I had with him, but he was spot on with me. And he really helped me um, when I was coming through it because he sort of coached me under seven. And then a guy called Gary Norman, who has just come back to coaching in the academy. He was really good with me as well. Um, I had a guy called Mark Hainan who works with the FA now. And he sort of, I don't know, he just made everyone so confident because he never got on anyone's back. He was always really relaxed and taught us sort of how to play the game from a really young age. And then uh, there was a guy called Sean Wood or Woody who coached me in quite a few age groups um, when I was younger. And he's definitely quite a big influence on me because... Obviously, I've had the most sort of time with him because he coached me quite a lot. But I'd say the main influence when I was in the sort of under sevens to under sixteens part, leaving out the under teens, would um, be Alan McLaughlin or Maka because he was sort of around when I was under thirteens. He started and then he sort of coached here and there. But he had always the older age groups. But he was just obviously we'll go on to him in a minute talking about more about the eighteens. But he was incredible and also a guy called Andy Minton who. A lot of people probably won't know because he's not lot. He's been in the academy for a while, but a lot of people you spoke to probably weren't in the academy when he was there. Yeah. Um, but he was someone that I, like at the time, I didn't really appreciate it, like what he was trying to do to me because I think he did quite like me as a player and as a sort of person, but he'd do it by like challenging me. And sometimes we'd argue, and sometimes I, I think, oh, like he's talking bollocks. But I actually, looking back, really appreciate what he did for me because he made me so mentally strong and he like. Now, like, I can speak to him, like, we're just normal, like me and you are having a conversation. And uh, I really appreciate what he did for me because he sort of prepared me for not only youth team football, but men's football as well. And what he did for me was massive. Are these are these guys sort of good at every little bit or do they sort of have expertise? Like, who who is responsible, for example, your skills and who is responsible for ensuring that you are mentally preparing yourself for life in football how how does it work um i think when you're younger they sort of obviously when i was there it's different now the younger kids have like two training sessions a week where i only had one and we didn't have games till we was under eights but so they sort of mainly work on your base skills when you're younger because no one at that age is going to be massive going to be quick strong all that so they work on your skills and things like that but then as you get a bit older it's sort of They've changed it now because they've brought in like sports psychology. So they have a woman come in to do psychology sessions with the players, which at the time you think, oh, I, like, I can't bother, I just want to go home because it would be after training. But then you look back and I think it was really important because it just gets you talking about things and thinking about the game on a different level. So they sort of changed that since I was there. But not when I was younger, there wasn't a lot of mental help or things like that preparing you for football until you got to sort of under 12s and then they start talking to you about you can be brilliant technically can be brilliant tactically but if you haven't got the right mindset and the right attitude then you're not going to make it and I think they just work on making you a bit of a better person because I think that helps with the mental side Um, because if you're a good person then everything else should fall in place for you hopefully and that's what they sort of taught me and Jeremy Newton and Macca Alan McLaughlin was brilliant with that because just the way they treated you and it, it wanted you to treat people with respect as well 
because you sort of follow in their example, really. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think we'll, we'll hone in on the more serious stuff, to be honest, because we've got so much to talk about still. And I think this is, yeah. this is what I think most people really want to listen to. So you start sort of moving towards the under 18s. You're on the bench a couple of times before you make the under 18s. That's, that's correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And, and at what stage when you're in your final year of the academy before the under 18s, do you know that you're going to make it to scholarship? Um, so, uh, I think the year before me, they found out in like February time, mm-hmm. but because you're in year 11 at school, they sort of check, cause obviously you've got your exams and things like that. So with me, my age group, I think we're the first year to find out. Some people find out a year before cause they know that they want to keep them. I think there was only one lad in my age group who's done that. And then you play under 16s as normal from say the season. So August until December. And then our decisions was on like the 22nd of December. So three days before Christmas, as you can imagine, as a 16 year old, you've got your exams coming up. You think you've got a chance of making it into the youth team and then everything gets taken away. You're just like, Christ. So I was, but going into it, I was sort of confident. So you get, you have like a meeting like arranged with the coaches. And I can remember it. So what, like, there was me, my dad, and then this other lad and his dad and they're like, in bar 71, where mm. you wait. And, uh, I don't think anyone said a word and we were waiting together for like 20 minutes and no one said a word because like everyone was so ner- like nervous and I was just like oh this is the most awkward thing in the world because there wasn't a word spoken in the 20 minutes we were waiting and then the guy come um, out of the meeting room and he's like oh you're next to me and I said like, oh my god thank fuck for that because it was the most awkward 20 minutes of your life because <laughs> what can you say to like calm them down it was just awkward as anything and then I walked in and as I walked in, one of the coaches, they were sat in like an L shape so I could see one of the coaches bit away and I just sort of smiled because I was like, I just was trying not to be too stressed. I just smiled at him and he was trying to put on serious shapes and he just smiled back and I was like, oh, that's a good sign. And then uh, we were chatting and then uh, Nutty was sort of leading it because he was head of the academy at the time and he was like, uh, if we made these decisions like six months ago or even three months ago, we probably would be releasing it. But, you've improved and you've managed to change our minds and that's the sort of qualities we want so we're going to offer you a scholarship and obviously you couldn't take the smile off my face but I was so happy because obviously I was more happy for like all the hard work I've put in but for my parents as well because obviously they've sacrificed so much like going to watch me and things like that I just thought all the hard work that I put in from six to where I was 16 has sort of paid off in a way because it's one step closer to like playing for Swindon and uh, they offered you a like scholarship and I think out of our age group we had quite a lot of trial at the time and uh, so I think there was how many was taken I think eight full-time scholars and then the other however many got released Um, and then you just carry on the under 16 season as normal but every age group pushes players up to play above themselves so you can fill the team if not I mean and then the 18s uh, just like Mac has just picked a couple every week, bearing on positions and suspensions and things in the yards on the bench a couple of times. Um, but I already knew at that point I was going to be a scholar. Yeah. I mean, this is how it would have played out if that was me. So I go into that meeting. I hear Jeremy Newton say, if this was three months ago, six months ago, we wouldn't have given you this scholarship. Um, and then, but we're pleased that we're going to offer you terms. I would have walked out of that room strutting, um, celebrating. And then about an hour later, I would have been like, 
what do you mean six months ago I would have been let go? And then my head would have yeah. gone. And then I would have, you know, obviously tried to, you know, I would have felt the pressure going into training the next one, thinking they're looking at me, finding my flaws, and I don't like it. So yeah. is there an, I mean, you're, you're, you're a sports guy, so I'm not, you know, I, I played football up until 16 at no level whatsoever. And, you know, I, maybe I was too sensitive for it because, you know, it just... It got more and more serious, and I got less serious, interested in that. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I just think I would have been so paranoid that they they were sort of you, they're ruling over me, um, waiting for me to slip up, and that's me gone. And a try that's going to come in and take my place. D- does that mentality creep in for you guys, even though that you you know these people for years and years and years? Um, definitely in the younger age groups, because when we were like under 15, I remember we had two teams because, um, our coach at the time brought in like 15 or Charlie, mm-hmm. but I was looking at it thinking like, I've in my Thompson, I've seen hundreds of Charlie's come in and I'm still here for a reason Yeah, and stuff like that, stop, like I said earlier, you just get used to it. It stopped bothering me because I was like, if someone was good enough to take my place, they'd have done it. Good point. Um, and then when obviously I got the scholarship, when they said, oh yeah, three months ago, six months ago, we wouldn't have given you one. I just, honestly, when, and then they said, I knew there was a but coming there, like, but you've changed our minds. I was just, I couldn't care about the three months or six months. <laughs> I was just like, oh, brilliant. And then uh, I just, obviously we had Christmas and the Christmas period off to sort of like, just have a relax and chill and then go back in January. And uh, I wasn't really that nervous because I was so excited to go in because I knew that Every session, every game that we got through, it was one week closer to being full time, and that was sort of what you want to be like to get paid to play football is what every kid sort of wants, and I was just so excited for that. And everyone was because our team was so close, we were just so excited, and I was playing well at the time as well, and I just couldn't wait. So I think the paranoid sort of side of it did stop coming in for me when I was quite young because I just thought like I've got to this point. Um, if someone was good enough to sort of take like take me out of the team and get take my place and they'd have done it and uh I was just I just couldn't wait to start full time really even though I knew it was going to be hard and I knew it's going to be completely different um I just couldn't wait how is it harder and how is it completely different then so I mean logically because of the way youth football works now and you've told me that you you've already played teams at the much higher levels but when it gets to under 18s it becomes very regional doesn't it so yeah because teams like Bristol City have an elite and elite academy, we don't even play them. We're more more likely to be playing Oxford and playing Forest Green Rovers, Plymouth teams like that. Yeah. Um, so how in that one sort of pre-season, obviously you are playing a year group ahead, so you're fighting with people like Luke Haynes, I suppose, at centre back, and yeah. then, then you're also playing against kids that that are a year into their scholarship. How much difficult is that? Um, I'd say from that, like physically, you don't realise how much of a step up it is until you play. Yeah. But in pre-season, they make a point of playing against the men's team. So we played against Highworth, against Westbury, and teams like that. And uh, it sort of gets ready for it because some lads at 18, 17, 18 are built like men. Yeah. And uh, you, I don't know. It just it's one of those things with experience. You can sort of get through it because you realise how the games are going to go, and you realise how to adapt your game a little bit different to like deal with the physical side of it. And that's what I sort of did because I'm not the biggest, but um, it was just, you just learn to deal with it. And 
obviously where you're in full time, um, you have a lot of gym sessions, a lot of running, a lot of um, weights and things like that. And they just get you ready for it. And they just, it's almost with experience because by the time your second year comes around, like I find this, like I found a lot more comfortable at that level because I played against big, big sides at Oxford, had some units, Southend were massive, Stevenage um, were big lads in the Merit League, Peterborough had some big lads. And you just, when you're playing against those lads every week, you do learn to sort of deal with it. But it is completely different because it's like your first proper pre-season where you're running, like doing two running sessions a day. Um, and as a scholar, like on Fridays, when Phil Brown was a manager, he like 11 of us would always go over and do like set pieces with the first team. And then when you think you're like, oh, I'm physically, I'm dealing with the 18th, you go up and if you're doing corners against the first team, you just feel completely out of your depth again because like, you don't appreciate until you're there like how, like especially in League 2, the size of some of these folks and how physically quicker and stronger they are than you when you do that. And I just think every time you sort of think that, oh, I'm ready for this now or I'm, I'm starting to adapt to this, like something just completely changes it and makes you realise that you're nowhere near ready. Yeah. When I, when I used to live in Bedminster, which is deep, dark Bristol City country, um, when I finished work, I would sometimes go and watch the under-21s or the under-18s play because it was, you know, a couple quid, five, yeah. five, ten-minute walk, no-brainer, listen to some music, just watch some 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 football. And I yeah. remember, like, Bristol City's academy players back then were quite weedy, Especially yeah. when in comparison to like the, the guys from Cardiff and the guys from QPR and Crystal Palace, yeah. they were so much bigger and it was it was absolute chalk and cheese. You couldn't believe the difference. This is really interesting because also during your time, that, so if, you're going to have to correct me if I get my dates wrong, but 2018 is when you start your scholarship, right? That's your yeah. your year one. So that's when David Farrell comes in. And, and yeah. David Farrell, I remember, is a you know pretty decent lower league player. He played for Peterborough when Danny Invincible scored his great goal that kept essentially kept Swindon up. Um, yeah. But this is a new guy coming in with new ideas. How did you guys adapt to that? Well, because obviously we, like as the first year scholars, we went in and we didn't know what to, like, because he was our first taste of a full-time manager, so we just sort of bought into it. But the lads a year above me really like had a problem with it, and there was quite a big divide um, between like the first year and second year because they didn't agree with Dave. Because Dave would play like the first years instead, mm. and obviously, bar a couple of them, he was right to do that in my opinion. But <laughs> they just didn't because they were used to one way, which was obviously Macca's way. They wanted that back, and obviously, like. It's, it's opinion because they had experienced that and they had done well with Hacker, that that's what they wanted. But obviously because we'd never had a full time manager, we just sort of cracked on with it and it mm. was it was difficult like because to try and get everyone on the same page. But in the end we we did because um we nearly won the Merit League that year and like yeah, when Dave came in it was just I I think everyone was surprised because we didn't know what to expect. Like no one knew what to expect. And uh yeah, no, but it was definitely that first year was unbelievable like one of the best years I've ever had playing football because obviously we did so well and uh it was just so funny like the lads here above me was like just had <laughs> massive characters in the team like they were hilarious and it was just every day it was just relentless and it was brilliant and we did and it helped that we were winning quite a lot as well especially in the Merit League so it was definitely different when Dave came in because no one knew what to expect even the lads who had done a year with their scholar but um 
yeah, it was good. It was really good. Yeah, I guess I guess if you're a second year scholar and you're lo- you and you're losing your place to a first year in your final year, that's going to make me feel a little bit on edge. If I'm honest, it's if I if I want to get a contract, etc. Oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah, because I think you feel it like you definitely feel the pressure because it's not as if you can on a say on the Saturday you lose your place to a first year and then you you don't have to go train until the Tuesday night like you do if you're any age group under up to under 16 like you're literally training again on Monday all week and it's constantly on your mind so I can see why there was a problem because I, I, I wouldn't have liked it last year if anyone came in took my spot who was younger but um, yeah no definitely it is a difficult one it's it's tough because I luckily I wasn't really in that position but yeah. it's tough to sort of I sort I do understand where they're coming from I absolutely love youth team goals you know score lines because they're often absolutely chaotic in terms of yeah. you know, in your in your first year here thanks to Rich Banyard so I can I can see some of the scores here so you know beating Portsmouth away 5-4 um, Oh my god that game was fucking mental oh, come on <laughs> when did I I oh, come on I think we're 5-1 up so this well this tells you everything you need to know about me I come on 5-1 up it ended up 5-4 we got absolutely battered they had a man sent off as well it was a crazy last 20 minutes game absolutely smashing it down and honestly, if that game went on for like five minutes longer, we'd have lost six five a million percent. <laughs> oh, you, you stole my thunder there. Um, yeah, come on with fifteen minutes to go, and uh, it all went oh, a little bit. Fucked it, fucked it completely. Honestly, I, don't... <laughs> I remember my first touch across coming. I went to clear it, and I was just like completely missed the ball. It's got their striker. Luckily, he's missed. But I thought, oh my god, if he had scored, then there's no comeback from that. Yeah, I mean. You know, you 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 get tonked a couple of times. You absolutely smash some teams. Like, I mean, Newport County. I don't know if they were playing their under fourteens, uh, but you know, nah, that's quite. Yeah, Newport. We just they start really well because, like you said, they sort of Cardiff, Newport. They've got some really big lads, and they're always up for like a a bit of a scrap. But they don't play much football, and they're not the most athletic side. They just they're really big lads, and I think that's sort of their downfall because we have quite a lot of like pace and. They start really well and they sort of take you by surprise and then as the game went on, they just sort of run out of steam and then it become a little bit easier. But yeah, this year, um, last year in my second year, I think we beat um, 7-1 and I can't remember the score in the second game. But yeah, no, the score lines in some games were crazy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this talk about the derbies because you play against Oxford and Bristol Rovers predominantly and we'll focus on Oxford at the time of recording yeah. we're just about to play them in in the league if if the game goes ahead oh, <laughs> yeah. um you know you lose against Oxford you draw against Oxford you do also play in a win against Oxford how much does you know we were talking at the start of this about like young lads especially you know around Swindon you you always see more Chelsea, more Arsenal, more Liverpool, more Spurs, more Man United shirts around the town than Swindon ones. Yeah. How how do the club sort of how how do they sort of uh, encourage the rivalry and and build its its importance? Or is it up to people like yourself who are Swindon through and through who really want to do something? positive against them because the firsts don't you know the senior team can't yeah. do it. It, it, it how does it how how what is the build up to those games like um you sort of well the first week the first time we played against Oxford the week leading up to it it was I think it was at the end of August so it might have been after the game the Monday was the August bank holiday I think and uh we were playing them and then 
all week we had like stuff up in the changing room about Oxford, like about their team, about how they play, about not losing um, and just being competitive. And then we lost obviously three 0 and oh, it was an embarrassment. We had a man sent off, but we are, they were like, if you beat Oxford, um, you have bank holiday Monday off. If you lose, you're in. And then we were in running because obviously we got beat. But Oxford are always like every age group I've played in, even under nines. Oxford are always up for it and it is massive because obviously you know Oxford supporters are like they're just obsessed but even at academy level their coaches drill it into them from a young age and the thing is Oxford Academy they get a load of lads from so they don't have they had like two local lads my age the rest of them come from Fulham Man United London they come from all those areas Mm. and uh but somehow even though they've got no clue about the derby they're still always bang up for it and uh I think it's just the way that their coaches instill it in them and Swindon are starting to do that more now um, because I think obviously we're starting to like close the gap results wise but I just I think it's a weird one because Oxford definitely get the coaches to get them ready for it and that's like a good way of doing it I think but also sw- having Maka involved because obviously he played for Swindon he knows what it's about he was massive in getting us up for games out because like, all you needed was one team talk from Maka and regardless of the results, you would always go up, go out up for it. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it was sort of because like, obviously, like I said, me and Luke were local lads, so we try and get people up for it. But there's nothing more effective than someone like Maka talking. I think so. He was probably a big part of it because obviously when he speaks, everyone listens, and he was massive in getting everyone up for games out. It's it's really interesting the point that you make there about Oxford being able to whip them up better than we are able to whip our own up because I am you know it's 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 all well and good us Swindon fans talking about this but I am certain if you um if you had a neutral party come and observe both sides internally and externally I think Oxford whatever they do they 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 want it more than Swindon um somehow even fan wise you know we of course have our element of fans that obsess about you know beating Oxford and that's our rivalry that's of course there's nothing wrong with that but there's just something about the Oxford side every time I've seen it that from their social media to their fans to the internal to their local press they, yeah. they they know how to whip it up, and we well, we, we don't. That's the thing, because at the end of my first year, we was in a position, if we beat Oxford in the last game of the season, we'd have won the league. And uh, there, was like, there was quite a few people, and obviously a lot of Oxford supporters come to the game. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy walking around. You know, obviously, when they beat us, they they brought out like, T-shirts and like, sticking around and <laughs> things like that. There was a guy walking around with a T-shirt, same six mirror on it and I was just like what a sad life some of those people must live because that's how obsessed they are with Swindon like, but saying that if we beat Oxford six times in a row I'd be exactly the same I wouldn't let them live it down it was like when they got beat by Wickham in the playoffs honestly that game I, I thought oh, Oxford are going to win because they look decent but then when Wickham beat them oh my god oh, it's brilliant because in the semi-final Oxford should have had two players sent off against Pompey they yeah. didn't they got through and I was like this is typical Oxford they're going to win the final they're going to go up <laughs> and then when they got beat I was so happy so happy when they got beat for people my age because you know I'm 37 and I was 17 the last time Swindon beat Oxford Oh. And I can I'm not going to sit here some sort of elder sort of going ah yes I've seen Swindon beat Oxford because you know back then it was so much more it was so common you know we yeah. six in a row 
I can't. I, I mean, I don't think we ever did that in our time. But we always knew if we lost to them one year, we'll definitely do them the next year. You know, it was. Yeah. It, it, it was very, very. I mean, you know, even when we were at our worst in the nineties, we we could usually rely on beating Oxford, especially at home. But but the the the, the worst thing is because now I've said it, they don't even stuff us. They just no, do what needs to be done. To yeah, yeah, they just exactly. knew. And I, I thought we got close when we were terrible in 2017 and then they scored that great goal. and Go out and give it a really good go because Oxford seems to get up every single game they play against us. Whereas whenever I've seen Sunderland, obviously the year the Canyon was here, the away game, we battered them, but we just couldn't score. That's fair enough. But then since then I've seen Sunderland play Oxford, we just haven't. It's not as if they're not trying, obviously not, but it just looks like we're just no, not up for it and we don't yeah. we don't know the importance and it's so important that especially the way results going at the minute, just put in a really good form to not just give everything because it's it's so annoying when you go into a derby game and almost half expect the team to not put any effort in. But I think this year, regardless of the result of the weekend, like when you've got people obviously like uh Steve Mildhall and the coaching stuff and that and you've got players like Anthony Grant and things like that who are like always up for every game, tackles, everything, effort. That's all you can ask for. Like, if you don't win, you don't win, but you need effort. And I think this year, hopefully, we'll get that, especially the way the results have been going, because we do owe Oxford one. But it's just about the performance. It goes Horlock. It's squeezed over the line. Kevin Horlock. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Your final season at Swindon is, is yeah. a really tough one. It's, it's again. I don't want to put a negative spin on this. You're going to tell me what happened in in, in your final year, but there's something that really is glaring, and it's kind of in a sad way. And that's that the season didn't finish. Um, yeah. And it'll be really interesting to talk about like how it worked out for you because I've talked to a lot of people about their career. This is supposed to be the best, or is often the best time in a career of a footballer, including those who go on to play hundreds of times in, in the football league. They love their under-18 experience. Yeah. Your season is pretty okay, you know, plenty of good results in there. Tonk in Bristol Rovers away, you know. Yeah. Lots of, lots of good stuff, lots of positivity. Then we get into the Merit League and starts okay, beat Exeter City, lose at Stevenage, who you already say they're, they're sort of much tougher side. And then we you go to Cambridge United in March. And then you get a point, and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that that's it over, and that is is incredible. So, I mean, I don't want to sort of gloss over what looked like a great, you know, a very enjoyable season. But was there any inkling other of, other than sort of keeping an eye on current events that this was going to be the end, so to speak? Um, yeah, I just started preparing myself for not being at Swindon. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, to be fair, I played well um, from sort of, I'd say from November until when the season stopped, I was probably playing my best that I had over the whole time I was a scholar. Um, and they even told me that in my meeting at the end. Mm. Um, but it was just such a shame because obviously we get a point at Cambridge, which was a really good game. We come from two goals down and then we have Yeovil at home the following week. Or, yeah, following me. And we did a training session with Maka um, just based on being hard to beat because you're overall quite a direct side and things like that. And everyone trained really well. And then we're doing just like a bit of shooting at the end. And 
the physio gets like a phone call and like everyone inside now, uh, we've got to have a meeting and we've all gone in and like walking on fat pits, that was the last time I'd ever trained with Swindon and I didn't think that at the time, I just thought, ah, oh, it'd be three weeks because we got told you'll have three weeks off you get a programme to and then you come back. But obviously that, like looking back, it's really sad that that was the last time I ever trained Sunday, but it was literally like we were preparing for a game, everything's normal and then we get called in for a meeting and Maka tells us that we have three weeks off and then it just kept getting extended and then uh, obviously the season had finished and then we got a message saying these are your meeting times and having been there from when I was six to 18, it was obviously... The club couldn't do anything about it. They had to do it over, like a phone call, like a Zoom call. Um, but it was just really disappointing. I didn't get to go back sort of one time and say goodbye to the coach or anything like that because I, I don't have a bad word to say about any of the staff that were there um, in the Zoom meeting and that were there during my scholar because everyone treated me really well and I really enjoyed it. And it was just a shame that um, I didn't get to say a proper goodbye and say thank you because I was really sort of grateful for what they did for me when I was... Um, a scholar and especially Mac obviously you've spoken to Mac haven't you yeah, done yeah a, brilliant yeah he's obviously you can tell and he's amazing because he'd always with me always ask if because his I'm pretty sure his kids went to the same secondary school as me so he'd always ask oh, how things in Highworth like take them up at Highworth and all that and <laughs> he'd ask how the family were ask how I am and he'd always sort of look after me in a way and I was like I can't really speak highly enough of him and um he was a really important part of like when I was at Swindon. I was it was him that sort of gave me the verdict that he said he said it straight away. He was like Tom, unfortunately, um, there's no pro contract. And then they sort of like give me some really good feedback, not just as a footballer but as a person I could use. Now, like if you ever need a reference, um, you can use us. And I was sat there and I just thought it's a real shame that we didn't get a bit face to face because I really liked to have a proper conversation with them because I was really grateful for. For what they did for me and Mac is he still called me over lockdown seeing how I am and we still talk occasionally and I, I can't speak highly enough him because not just me but for the whole team while I was there as a scholar he was amazing and having someone who's obviously in the Hall of Fame at Swindon and Portsmouth you can't help but listen honestly for every time he's maybe had a go at the team or he's done it with a reason and our best interests are always sort of at the forefront of his mind and he was the, the only person I've ever seen who when he walked into a room, you would we'd just be sat there doing nothing wrong, we'd be fine. But when he walks in the room, everyone goes silent and he's got everyone's respect and fear and honestly like he's probably the best coach and person that I've worked with during football because not just as a coach and as a player, obviously he had a really good career as a, as both, but just as a person, the way he treated me especially, like I can't speak highly enough of him and I'm sure you probably thought after you spoke with him he was he was brilliant and I do want to talk about pathways because it's nigh on impossible for Swindon Town youth players to get a really good run and jump at the first team. The reason being is we don't have a reserve side. So, yeah. you know, we really cannot judge you guys on on adult football because we don't see it. So, you know, every year, two or three or four under-18 players um, get get contracts they might feature in the Johnston's paint once or twice. They go out on loan and they go. Does yeah. Swindon Town have a problem with its youth system graduating? Not about the individuals, but are we going to be able to 
really feel the benefits of what is a really strong catchment area, Wiltshire. North, west, south, there's plenty of kids playing football. Are we, are we making it harder for ourselves by not investing in, in youth? I think it is definitely a difficult um, situation because if you look at Crew, if you look at Exeter, they're both doing really well and they have a lot of academy lads make it through to the first team. Um, and especially if, if a club hasn't isn't blessed with a lot of money and a lot of facilities, then why not give young lads a chance like Scott Twine, like Luke, people who... Scott Twine is clearly good enough to play Swindon. If he's doing it in League 2, the league we've just come out of, he's good enough to play Swindon. But obviously, it's football's a game of opinions. And if people don't see that, but I also think it's got something to do with, obviously, funding, having an under-23 side costs a certain amount. Yeah. Um, some owners a lot of clubs in the lower leagues aren't prepared to do that because they have got other priorities with the playing squad in the first team, which is fair enough. I, I see that, but also think having under 23s is a bit of a, it's in some cases it can work really well. Like you see players progress through quite a lot, but in other cases you can be 21, 22 without playing the game. You can sort of get lost in the, in the pool of players if you like. And I yeah. think if you can find a balance of 23s is really important, but I also think the pathway through isn't the best because like you said there isn't a reserve league like they used to be there's only like the Wilkes Premier Shield was a good route for us last year um, but it also depends on the manager like if you're in League 2 and you've been told get Swindon promoted you're not going to give a load of young lads a chance mm. you're going to get proven players to get them promoted that's what we did last year and it worked um, but I also think if you're struggling like we are now then where's the harm in chucking in a few young lads, local lads who know what it means to play for Swindon? Yeah. But I also think if you look at managers over the years, you look at David Flitcroft, who had no interest in playing young lads, it sets back a whole set of age groups. Yeah. Because if, it affect, if it's got a knock-on effect, and I think the longer you're in League 2, the longer it's going to affect youth players, the longer people are going to get pros, get released. And I think now that we're, if we can just sort of stay in League 1 and, be solid I think it's, there is going to be a better pathway because I know that definitely in the year groups um, below me there are some really good and really talented players that should in my opinion make it through and hopefully they do but yeah there is a there is a problem because I think it's it's difficult especially with what's going on at the minute there's no chance of Swindon getting the 23s because no, no obviously and obviously some people are playing uh, for the, like in the first team who are on a certain amount they're the priority, which is fair enough. There are some people who are there that shouldn't be there at every club. That's fair enough. And there's always something in the way, it seems, at Swindon of someone making it through, which is a real shame. But hopefully people that are either in the first team now or that are coming through can really like push through. And I know that the lads that got pros from my age who are really good players, and I hope that they sort of push through and make a, make a claim in the first team because it would be really good to see younger lads like Nathan Thompson who came through, Louis Thompson, people out. It would be really good to see more people like that in the future. Yeah. I think things like the Papadron's Trophy really should be more angled towards under-23s, under-21s, like it is for, well, the, for the other teams, isn't it? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, if you're letting uh, Man United 23s, for example, play in a the competition, then why can't Swindon play their younger lads? Yeah. Because... It gives them the experience of playing in a competitive competition. Um, obviously, this year been exception in front of a crowd, and like a lot of men just don't care about the competition, which is fair enough. 
the results don't matter. It's about the experience. And then how the only way they're going to get ready to play in the first team is by experiencing things like that. And I think if they're letting big clubs play their 23s, it makes a bit of a mockery of what should be a, a competition used for developing players. Yeah. And if yeah. you look at the bigger clubs, if they have an injured player who's eligible for the 23, and who's that? it's not helping anyone. The, yeah, I mean, usually what happens when you get the, the dreaded news um, is there are exit trials, just standard trials where you spend the summer going all around the region um, trying yeah. to get a deal and beyonds. You could go on a collegiate scholarship. You could go and play in Sweden like some of the guys in Swindon mm-hmm. have done over the years and play in development football over there. Yeah, but you guys, I don't, I don't get the feeling that you, you had them opportunities because of the outbreak. What's it been like when, when you were told the news? Were you like, okay, well, I'm gonna crack on, find a club, see if I can make my way back, or were you realigning to life outside of football? What was the plan for you? Well, when I obviously heard the news, I thought, being a Swindon fan, being there so long, I thought I was going to be really uh, down and just gutted about it, and I was for about two minutes and then I just thought right I've achieved some amazing things while I've been at Swindon I've played tournaments in the Caribbean I've played in Holland and things like that and that's something that's happened now it's brilliant but it's gone so I need to get over it and there's no point sitting around and dwelling on it because mm. that doesn't help anyone so literally that day because um, we were still in lockdown um, my dad had some weights at home me and him we just like had a sort of gym, home gym session just got on with it just as it was a normal day, because I always think, yeah, you can try and rush and get into it, into football again, but there's no trials this year. There's not a lot. Clubs are saving their budget for the main player, so they're not going to take a chance on an 18-year-old who's just been released. Mm. So I was just, I was just thinking in my head, if I'm good enough, I'll make my way back, and I've just got to sort of bide my time and trust that I am good enough to make it back. And if I'm not, then there's a reason for it. Uh, but if I do make my way back, then then it shows that I'm good enough. But uh, yeah, once it happened, I got a phone call from the Chippenham manager, who did our he did our coaching course while we were scholars. Yeah. So he called me and was like, um, "Do you want to come in for preseason training?" And I was like, "Yeah." Went in there and obviously Conference South. If anyone sort of watches a bit of both Swindon, Chippenham, Bath, whoever. Um, the guys that play on that level mainly is about how the size there's quite especially the centre half you do get a lot of metres at that level that's just a fact <laughs> and uh, I played in a training game did well played in a friendly against a lower league uh, opposition and then Amanda said to me at the end he's like, on the ball and technically you're fine but he's like you're just not ready for men's football and I said yeah that's fair enough it's also I think that response is it's fair enough for me at the moment, but it's also bullshit because I was there for two months before he said that. So he knew that anyway. <laughs> so he should have told me a few weeks before, but I appreciate the feedback. And then Chippenham have like a 23 or a development squad, which yeah. is to try and get, and it does work because I've had lads on the bench and things like that, but he, they sort of wanted me involved in that. And I, I was interested, but it was, it was a uh, full time, but, Obviously, travelling from life to Chippenham every day because it's full time, you can't really work, and it, it just wasn't really feasible. Because I've also got to realise that I have, I do have to work and and make a life for myself outside of football because I can't be twenty twenty one looking for a job and having no real experience. So I thought it's a good 
it would be a good thing to do, but I just thought it's not really for me. Um, and then I was going to go and play in Be- like in the second tier in Belgium. Um, but unfortunately, because of COVID, obviously a lot of clubs over there struggled with funding. Yeah. So the club went bust. So obviously not ideal again. But And then I just thought, there's no point trying to rush it. Like if something worthwhile comes up, I'll take it. But I just sort of wanted to play. And you've got to play men's football because it it's really obvious that when you come out of an academy, ability will only take you so far. Yeah. And like you have... The, the sort of lower down you go, the levels, the harder it gets because you're playing against bigger players, uh, more experienced at that level who just know how to sort of fight and, and things like that. And it's, it is really difficult playing men's football at a level. And it's just something that I've got to experience for a while and then buy my time and try and make my way back up. And, and I'm confident that I can do it, but I've just, I'm, I'm not going to rush it because, like I said earlier, if I'm good enough, I am make my way up. It doesn't matter if it takes one year or, or six or seven years, it, it'll happen. Um, but I've just got experience playing men's football properly I think and obviously with the season stopping and starting it's not really ideal but again it's just the times we're in at the moment it's, it's not ideal for anyone so I've just got to get on with it and uh, I'll see what, what happens sort of next season if anything changes Yeah because you're playing with Chip and Sodbury aren't you? Yeah have you seen where we are in the league? Yeah, it's not great. Um, in, it, you are um, in the you're in the Western League. That's you're in the rock Western um, rock rock FM bottom alongside. There are some recognisable names in there. There seems to be quite a North Wiltshire selection of players. Yeah, um, obviously me, Sol Price, who's obviously Swindon. Uh, Reese Wells is there currently, who was at Swindon with me in the youth team. And then you've got people like Will Davidson, who's at Swindon from a young age. I'm at the Forest Green. And a few lads that have been at Red and Exeter. A lot we've got a really young team. Yeah. Um, which I think probably isn't helping us at the moment because at that level you need a few older heads to try and uh sort of steady the shit when you're struggling. But we've had a couple if you look at sort of the few points we have picked up, they fit like we went to Buckland who were joint second at the time, got a nil nil draw and we only had thirteen players. We had a goalkeeper playing at centre half with me, and <laughs> that's just the sort of thing you got to deal with. But I know because the manager's got a lot of sort of Swindon-based lads because he was the ex-Highworth manager, yeah. And he obviously saw the young lads and thought, "Oh, I'll take them to Sobra and it's working really well." And like we do have a we have a really good team, but it's just not really clicking at the minute. But yeah. it will. We, we will be fine. But obviously, as you can see, we are rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as you stop playing your goalkeeper at centre back, I imagine um, things well, might, might, change, yeah. <laughs> might 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 pick up there. Well, I hope the season improves for you, and um, I'm sure when you uh, when you travel to Brislington, I will be there to say hello. Now. This is the point where we're going to shift towards um, you as a fan again. So after the the next sting, if if you don't want to hear what uh, Tommy's all time Swindon eleven is, um, then you can turn off now. But you know, don't do that because we're going to have a good old reminisce. Um, so that was brilliant. Thank you very much. No worries. And now we return, and now we're going to have some fun as fans. So we'll get rid of the doom and gloom of, of COVID, and we're going to get real yeah. nostalgic. So as, as, as we learned earlier in the episode, um, you're, you're young, and you started going in 2006. Um, you've given me 
your all-time 11. So we're going to see almost all the players in the squad were in the Lowe Strangers um, team of the decade, for example. A couple aren't because they didn't play during that time. Um, yeah. You know, the, spoiler alert, there's no Aiden Flint in this team. Um, no, no. <laughs> he did make the... The fans voted and he made our 11. Um, so we're through the bench at the moment because your bench is really strong, to be fair. Um, your bench is Nathan Thompson, Stephen Bender, Darren Ward, Simon Ferry, uh, Alex Pritchard, Lee Peacock and Billy Painter. Is Lee Peacock in there because he's behind the scenes at Swindon? Um partly <laughs> and also yeah no just because like, another coach that I, didn't, I forgot to mention earlier he was really like I had a really good relationship with him when I was at Swindon and it was mental um, like watching him when I was younger and then being sort of coached by him on a daily basis was really crazy and like we had a brilliant relationship and he's another one who sort of really looked out for me since I've left Swindon and uh, I just remember when we got promoted uh, against Warsaw when he came out with that rascal coat he had on <laughs> and uh he was just yeah, and Swindon supporters loved him as well. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd stick him on the bench just to sort of stop the text coming in, asking why he's not on there. But yeah, absolutely, and and yeah, and and Darren Ward, centre back, influence, good player, would have made you know would have made several people's my 11s from your age group I'm sure. Um, Nathan Thompson's there. I'm yeah. still I'm really I'm really odd with Nathan because he did so much for Swindon, but. There's this little thing about the Preston game where I feel it just it tainted it for me a little bit, and I I, I would tell him if if he came on that I'm not he should have never started, and th- that lingers with me. Yeah, I think it's pro- it's quite a common uh, opinion amongst Swindon fans, but also uh, from sort of my perspective, having come for Swindon, like if you're a Swindon supporter, you're captain. It's the first time he's going to be able to play at Wembley. Yeah, of a course. To get us pro- a chance to get us promoted back, like you're going to do everything you can to play. Yeah. And obviously, look, looking back, he shouldn't have played, but I can 100 percent see why he would have because it's like it's his team. It's at Wembley. On- honestly, Preston's probably one of the, like you know when you're getting beat at half time and you think, oh, like no, nah, if we just do this in the second half, we'll come back. So there was absolutely <laughs> no, no chance we're getting back. They were so much better than us. It was ridiculous. Oh man, that 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 was that was a tough day. But even I was, I've, I've said it before. Even walking into the ground that day, it just didn't feel right. Um, no, which is weird. It means nothing, yeah. does it? But it just it just did not. It didn't feel like I was walking towards pen, potential glory. It, it, <laughs> it it just. I think the five five plan. I mean, I walked out of the five five not not exactly ecstatic. I was like. What on earth did I see? A hugely entertaining game of football. It was absolute yeah. chaos, but it didn't give me any confidence in the final whatsoever, and it was proved right. And of course, you've got you know influencer in Scotland now, Simon Ferry, who's just changed <laughs> the game. Yeah, he's absolutely nuts, isn't he? Oh. He's crazy, but he's really, really entertaining. And like, obviously, oh, I've listened man. to I've listened to his podcast with you, and like, he's that's the sort of that's just him. That, isn't it like talking and yeah. talking about football and other player obviously he got promoted from League Two. He was there under Danny Wilson. He got us to the semi-finals um, when we got beat by Brentford again, and like to do all that in such a short space of time, especially as like a young sport going up, you could already see that he was a character as well. And he was just he was obviously a really good player, and that's why he was on there. Because I was going to put him in the uh, in the actual eleven, but I thought nah, but yeah, nah, he is a. Uh, He's um, obviously amazing at the minute, but yeah, no, he was a really good player for us as well. Yeah, he's making whole whole of Scotland sing bad disco tracks. Oh, so that song is 
that's all I see all over Twitter at the minute. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your eleven then. So it's a it's a bloody good eleven. It's 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 doing well in in a league. I would say it would be yeah. it would be pushing for promotion from League One, no problem at all in their pomp. Especially there's goals in it. Um, we'll start in goal then. They're really it's the modern Fraser Digby really. Um, it can't be anybody else, can it? 191 games. Where's Fodderingham? Yeah, well, watching Swindon, obviously, I haven't had many. Uh, goalkeepers to look at and think especially when I was younger because I didn't really pay as much attention because I wasn't really a defender when I was younger but mm. as you get older you realise just how important he was to Swindon like, uh, I remember the Coventry game away from home when it was I think it was Kevin McDonald's first game yeah. and at 1-0 he made a header uh, a save from a header that was like, probably the best save I've ever seen in a ground and he made so many important saves for Swindon and uh, it it can't really be anyone else because there's no one that comes close. Obviously, Stephen Bando's on the bench is next yeah. in line, but those two aren't even close. Fodder and was like miles away from anyone that I've seen as a Swindon keeper. Yeah, put, he put way too much pressure on poor old Viggs. Viggs didn't stand a chance after <laughs> after, uh, and Viggs was okay. He was a good goalkeeper, yeah. but Fodderingham was always destined to go on to to bigger and better. I I, I kind of feel sad what hap- what's what's happened since where he's now a bench. Um, goalkeeper, I think he's better than yeah. that. But you know, he's 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 done a lot. He's played a lot of football, and fair play to him. Right, we'll we'll, we'll go next with right back, um, friend of the pod. He's your captain in this. 122 games, Swindon and counting. Paul Caddis. Oh, another one. I don't think it can be anyone else because obviously to get two promotions, obviously he was captain in the first one, and he's just. It's not very often you get someone like him play for your team, and he is obviously a club legend. And um, the goal he scored against Bristol Rovers, I see it come on social media the other day, and uh, he was sort of taking penalties as well towards the end of the Canio's first year, and he was just someone that you knew was was always going to have a good game. Yeah, and him like Fodenham, you could probably sort of count on one hand how many bad games they had for Swindon, and he's just one of those players you, you might not see someone like him again because he's. He's not tall or quick or strong, but he's just so... He's just got a football breath. He knows where to be all the time. And even last season, you saw where he wasn't really playing anywhere and then come to Swindon, like you could see, he still was the same player, even though it was like seven, eight years down the line. You could still see like how good he was. And I think that just says, says I think you need to know about him as a player that nothing really changed in that uh, period of time. Yeah, I think, I think it's a measure of the man that he came back because yeah. any other footballer, and rightly so, would would have told Swindon where to go if if they asked, <laughs> yeah. you know, to come back the way he was treated um, nearer yeah. to the tail end of his of his first spell at the club, um, and to come back. Sure, you know, he had a friend here in Owen Doyle, but you know, his family live in Scotland. He, he's back down here. He, he's a hundred percent sure. You know, again. He'll need games off this this season, but you yeah. cannot question like like you said his footballing brain and and he could have. I, I just so happy he came back just because I didn't want there to be this lingering sort of doubt that he's he went on to his career and just couldn't stand what you know Swindon Town for what happened. But he came back, yeah. got another medal, lovely stuff. Happy as Larry. Um, Next one, oh, man. You know, sometimes I look at the amount of games 
they play. And I think, oh, we took these players for granted. Um, mm. On the left, 107 games for Swindon, 11 goals, three nearer to the end in one game. It's Nathan Byrne. Yeah, um, I was struggling really to think of someone, because obviously he played wing back in the year we got to the playoff final. And I just thought, I was struggling to think of any left backs really that I was going to put like Nathan Thompson and Callis just as full backs, not really like stuck to a side. Yeah. But I put Burning because of what he did going forward. And if you look at the goal, I think it might have been Gladwin's second in the five all, how well we did to get across in that team. He was, and the start of the next one, he was just unplayable, wasn't he? And to see where he, from his first loan spell, where he looked a bit of like a nothing player and he just another loan, he, he just went on to be like, Brilliant, and then you see what he's done at other clubs as well, like getting player of the year wherever he's been, and he's done really well. And I just think he's obviously really quick, skillful, um, good going forward. And I just think I couldn't really put another person in because left back wise, I couldn't think of anyone. Yeah, but I think obviously if he wasn't a left back, he'd have probably been wide midfield because he was brilliant for Swindon, one of like the best football insides we've had since I've been watching Swindon, definitely. Yeah, and he took the number 10 shirt in his final season. And I do wonder, like, had he stayed the whole the whole campaign instead of the three or four games he played yeah. before setting off, he, he he probably would have been our standout player that year. And, and But, so, yeah. but it, it, it wasn't to be. Um, next up is another it wasn't to be player. He only played 72 times for Swindon. Don't think anyone played less than that in your 11. Scored three goals. Should have never been sold. It's Gordon Greer. Yes. He was the first sort of, uh, while I was watching Swindon, the first sort of captain that I really looked at and thought, sort of looked up to. He was a proper leader and uh, just always assured and you knew that you knew what you were getting with him again, sort of like Callis. And obviously the header he scored at home to Norwich. Um, obviously not... I think if we had had him in the play... Obviously he got sent off, didn't he, against yeah. Charlton. If we had him in the playoff final, it would have been different. Maybe we have shit that day anyway, didn't we? But if we had him, it might have been different. Um, he was just someone that the Swindon supporters again loved. He scored a bullet header against top of the league. And uh, he just sort of led by example. And he was... Again, probably a player that's too good for like the level he was playing at. And then it was a shame he went to Brighton. But um, I wish he was at Swindon a bit longer because he was brilliant for Swindon while he was there. Yeah, the, 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 we, we were under the impression that we were buying damaged goods, really, when, mm-hmm. when he came from Doncaster. And then it just proved to be absolute nonsense. And he, yeah. he, he played... At, oh, he was, you know... So good, and and like you said, like I think the Millwall game was probably the best of our modern failures at Wembley, um, out of the three, yeah. um, and small margins and all that. Had he played, it could have been a completely different story. But at the same time, mm. <laughs> for all of his experience, what the hell he was thinking at uh, at the Valley to get sent oh, off for that kick? It. I, I was watching it, and I was like, oh my god, I, I just couldn't believe he did it. Yeah, just insane. <laughs> one of those wonderful moments in football where not one Swindon fan can say. Well, this is what he was trying to do, other than trying yeah. to sort of stick his boot through the body of of Dion Burton. But you know, never mind. And just we get relegated the season after he leaves. It just I, I think you know it can be seen as a major contributing factor that we didn't replace him. Simple as that. Yeah, I think that's probably right when you go to having 
if you have him at centre-half and then you go to having sort of people coming in and out with injuries and loans and things, I think it does make a massive difference losing someone like him. So it's, pro- it's no surprise you got relegated that year with the players that we lost. Yeah, absolutely. OK, the next one. Um, nobody has played more in this squad than, than the next one. 231 games, five goals over about 12 different spells because <laughs> um, he seemed to be here perennially on loan for a long time. It's Jarrell Eiffel. Yeah, just because during my first season as a supporter, obviously the header that he scored against Warsaw, it was a diving header in fact, the town end, like if you could pick a goal to sort of help you get promoted, especially as a defender, you'd probably pick that one. And I think he was just, I can, I've only got sort of slight memories of him, but to score a goal to get the, like the club I support promoted, it's, it's quite a big thing. It was tough between him and Darren Ward because Darren Ward is another one who's just steady and Darren Ward was a weird one because he never, I never really seen him jump for header, but he'd always <laughs> be in the right position and just use his arm. And you knew that anything in the air he was going to win. It was similar with Eiffel. Eiffel, obviously, the header that he scored was just amazing. And I remember when I was younger, this is a little bit sad that I remember this, but when I was younger, you know, Swindon do those like holiday camps for mm-hmm. young kids. I went in and you get like players, that's kid of the week. And I won that. And he give out the sort of like, prize that you get yeah and that's contributing to why he's in there because I was like oh my god I just couldn't believe how big he was he's an absolute <laughs> unit and then I was like oh wow like, it's mental that I've met him and I think he's probably one of the first one of the players that I've met properly so yeah that's probably why I put him in it as well yeah yeah also one of the um, more recent footballers to wear shorts so high up it reminded me of Sean Taylor Oh, uh, my God, it was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he always had his shorts up way too high, way oh too God, high. Yeah. But um, is he still playing? He's 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 getting on now, but he was playing for Hemel Hampstead before uh, before the lockdown. So he's, he's in his 40s now, but he looks after himself. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the next player made 102 appearances for Swindon, scored 14 goals. And I think I expected him to go on to more than he's achieved so far. He's in the championship comfortably. It's Massimo Luongo. Yeah, just uh, someone, again, who was too good for Swindon's level. You could see that the longer he was there. I was so surprised when we got him permanently because he was just... He's another one who never seemed to have a bad game and he just made it look so easy when he used to dribble past players. And when you had him, Kasim and Louis Thompson in the middle, just three people who just made everything look so easy, what they did, and... Uh, I remember the goal he scored against Brentford in the playoffs at home and he was just brilliant he could tackle he could do everything he could run he could pass he could dribble he had everything and he's probably what I'd say the best mid- like centre midfielder I've seen watching Swindon because he just made everything look so easy yeah oh he was he was yeah, it is. He's one of the many players from from modern times and you've got a few of them in your side where just certain things just several what ifs that really linger mm. on the mind. And of course, a lot of people will say, you know, we wish he didn't go to the, the Asia Cup in 2014-15 in because him and Yasser didn't come back as strong as they were before. But you're not turning away international sort of call-ups. It's just no. the downside of being a lower league team is you can't call them off um, the yeah. games. And just... It, nothing will annoy me more away from Swindon is the fact that he's gone to two World Cups and not played a single minute. 
That is yeah. so harsh for not, especially as he's not a reserve goalkeeper. Stick him on, God! Yeah. You know, you, you pretty much won the, that that Asia Cup for them. You know, it's, it's yeah, really, really odd. Anyway, we'll move on. Speaking of uh, lingering regrets, um, we'll go on to the next player. By far, our best player of 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 the last decade or so. One hundred twenty nine uh, appearances, twenty seven goals. It's Matt Ritchie. Yeah, just. Someone again who the year we got promoted with the Canio was the first sort of season that he really like. So because he had a couple of loan spells before, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he just I don't know what he scored so many goals and they weren't just the average goals. Um, he could shoot from range, he could do everything, he could cross, and he's just one of those players that even though the way he left was a little bit disappointing because of what was happening in the club, you everyone sort of saw it coming because of how good he was. Yeah. And uh, obviously scored against Oxford as well in the home game that we lost. And it just someone that you're not surprised at all that he's gone on and played in the Prem because he was so good for Swindon and you could see how much better than everyone in that league he was when he played for us. And to have two loan spells, obviously the first year we got to the playoff on it, but he didn't really play a massive part. Yeah. And then in the second one to get relegated and then to come back and sort of play the way he did was just incredible and like you said he's probably the best player we've had and definitely the best player or one of that I've seen watching Swindon so I'd have to put him in yeah yeah and I just think his spell at Swindon is a major contribution to what he went on to do you know I think Decanio really did I mean he was he was a talent when he arrived I don't think anyone expected him to be as good as he was after his first spell because that was quite minimal but what happened after that he they kind of really did work wonders on Matt Ritchie, and I think that's what Bournemouth got. Bournemouth obviously went up the leagues, and then he went to Newcastle. But, but oh, just just an extraordinary talent. And again, the what if if he stays that season, we're in the championship. If it, you know, if Decanio stay, if Richie goes and Decanio stays, I think we're in the championship. Decanio goes yeah. and Richie stays. Obviously, Decanio leaves because Richie goes. Um, we're in the championship. It, I think it is as simple as that, and I, don't, I, I won't really entertain any other um, conversation. It's one of those 100%. things. Um, We'd have won the league uh, that year comfortably. Just such a shame. Safe, but- such a shame. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, oh, nice little nostalgia one um, from your early days of supporting Swindon Town here. 126 games, 27 goals. He used to play for City. He's all right now. It's Christian Roberts. <laughs> yeah, he was my first, like, favourite player. You know how you're growing up, you have your favourite players. He was my first favourite player that I had at Swindon. Yeah. I, I didn't realise until I was a bit older the problems he had. I read his book. And the problems he had, obviously, personally, with different things, and he had a lot of injury problems. But for Swindon, like, he was brilliant, and he wore number seven, which was my like favourite number. And it was just things like that. And I just looked at him, and he, he was skillful. He scored goals, and he was, even though he did play for Bristol City at the age that I was, I, when I sort of first watched him, I didn't care, and I was devastated. Obviously, when he had to retire for injury, but yeah, he was brilliant, and I couldn't really not put him in because I thought he's like my oldest first women hero so I had to put him in there absolutely he was brilliant on his day you know especially when he first arrived at Swindon and he was going through his his issues yeah during that transfer you know and Bristol City knew what they were selling um I imagine Kingy knew what he was buying but he was just 
he was just when he was on form those those mazy runs he used to go on were phenomenal and i remember early games against sheffield wednesday um where he just played good lower league players off the park and he was really really exciting at a time where we didn't have that many exciting players post Danny Invincible maybe but he was he was really really good when he was fit unfortunately which really sort of overshadowed his his later years at Swindon but a great player yeah. and it's good to see him in your 11 and next the next two I don't think you can really argue um the first one you've mentioned a couple of times um 65 games 37 an absolute incredible rise it's Charlie Austin yes you can't really say anything else. He just come in and obviously score a goal straight away and he was so important. Like You could argue again, similar with Richard going, like, if Austin had stayed that season that he left, would we have got relegated with his goals? Yeah. And just he was another one who was, I probably was one of my favourites in the players at that time. Like, in the teams he were in, he was my favourite player because he was just, he just seemed to, every time he went through, you knew he was going to score. Yeah. And he wasn't, he wasn't really blessed with pace or anything, but he just scores goals. And if you listen to him, also I listen to him on your podcast and in different interviews. He's another one who's just like brutally honest, and he's really good to listen to. And like because he literally came from nothing to playing non-league and playing with his mates to playing in the Premier League, and I think that's something that everyone can sort of look at. And you can't really argue because I'm pretty sure if you asked any sort of Swindon supporter from this era, he would be in their team. Um, without any question really yeah I mean what's so impressive is you know he he made the step up from the Wessex League to League One look so seamless I mean he went from playing Bemerton Heath Harlequins and you know Christchurch and Hamworthy United and then he was scoring the only goal of the game against Carlo on his first full game and just and then what it went to and then obviously his one glitch that year was so crucial oh. um, and no one no one blamed him for it we all saw it it wasn't a bottle job the, the, the pitch was awful simple as that mm. but but uh, just just that was that would have been the absolute icing on the cake wouldn't it if that if that would have uh, yeah, that equalizer definitely. yeah definitely because it's just another what if like, if that goal had gone in would it have changed you never know we could have either won and on penalties or extra time or we might have even gone on to win it in normal time like, to be fair it was a bit of a surprise that we actually had a chance because <laughs> that day we were awful oh yeah but like I said oh I my Christ maintain it's still a better performance than the Chesterfield and the uh, and the <laughs> Preston one so yeah, um, yeah I, I remember because I, I, I didn't go to that game I was up in Newcastle watching it in a mm. pub um, and it was one of those games where it's like we're not going to do anything, and then suddenly mm. we get that through, and oh, just, just never forget that feel. I almost, it was my wife, my now wife, who was just like, no, watch the game for God's sake. Cause yeah. I kind of stood up at that point and was like, not today, let's go. <laughs> and and my wife was like, don't be stupid, watch the rest of the game. You never know. I was right, yeah. but it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those moments where. I, I wouldn't have done that in the ground. I wouldn't have stood up and gone to leave or no. anything. Like, I, I saw through the Preston game. I was the only person around um, where I was sat that saw yeah, through the I Preston. Saw it out as well. Both yeah. of those games were there for the end. And the Preston one was so because you knew the bulk of that squad were going. Yeah. And you were like, Christ, everything's just sort of falling God. apart. Yeah. 
Oh man, I'll, I'll do a full episode on that Preston one as a dissection. When we're in the championship one day, we'll, we'll dissect yeah. it. Um, final player then. I've talked about this player quite a bit and I'll probably say the same thing in a minute and I, I still stand by it, but absolutely phenomenal player for Swindon. The real shining light of, 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 of a real time of struggle, really, behind the scenes especially. Um, he kept us in League One um, almost single-handedly. It's perhaps not fair to Billy Painter. 48 goals in 88 appearances. Simon Cox. When he sort of Because he was quite young when he was at Swindon, or reasonably young. And uh, I just remember, like, he was always a nuisance for other defenders. He, and it, his finishing just looked so effortless. Like, I think in one season he scored. I think the season we just stayed up. Yeah. I think he scored, like, three, two or three hat-tricks away from home. Yeah. And I was like, that's ridiculous. And then in a game that year, it was Bristol Rovers at home. He scored with, like, 10 minutes to go. Um, and that win basically sort of guaranteed we were staying up. And I, that was, like, everyone went crazy when that goal went in. And, He's another one who just, like Charlie Austin, just always seems to score goals when it matters. And mm. uh, you can't argue with the amount of goals. In that many games, to score that many goals, you can't really argue with him going in the team. Yeah, absolutely not. And the thing that I was referring to before in previous My 11s that we've talked about, Simon Cox, is I think we don't really talk about Simon Cox as much as we should in terms of how good he was for Swindon. Everybody knows he was good, but I think because Charlie came in a year later, mm. less than, I think it completely overshadowed just how good Simon Cox was. I think the whole season, you know, the 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 season that we had where Danny Wilson took us to Wembley, just anything that happened a year or so before that just gets yeah. shelved. And, and with that goes with Simon Cox, who was phenomenal and I you know he made it to the Premier League he went to a European Championships with the Republic of Ireland but I still don't think he quite fulfilled the promise that he showed at Swindon injuries what have you but just so so good mm, yeah well like you said he's played obviously um, in national competitions in the Prem but he's a player that like you said probably should have done more like uh, at a higher level and he always seemed to score goals or he always seemed to do something at the levels he played at and he yeah. was just it's a, obviously he ended up at like South End and things like that but he's always a player you know what you're going to get you're going to get sort of goals from him and yeah just one of the players that you can look back and if if he wasn't there that season we'd have got relegated and just like getting to Wembley and Charlie Offing none of that might have happened yeah yeah so, I, I don't think he know. I don't think he got close to that season that that he had, I think no. maybe one of the South End seasons, he got almost twenty. But that that campaign with us, where he, where he got you know twenty nine in the league, I think maybe it was yeah twenty nine, yeah. It was it was just yeah out of this world. And that that's your eleven. We're almost done now, and we can we can all go home. Um, but we got a name. There can only be one manager, right? <laughs> yeah, the Canio. Yeah. Oh <laughs> Christ, a lot of, like. A lot of people probably said it, but if the game was dull or if the game was already won, like it was a lot of times that season, um, people just watch him because we could have been four or five nil up and he'd still be going crazy about something. And <laughs> you just obviously you hear people talk about him and the stories about him, and he's just almost like you don't believe him because they're so crazy. But he's just 
everyone seems to say the same thing about him. He's just off his head, and it was really good that he sort of come to Swindon because Swindon really needed someone like that at that time, like the supporters definitely, because otherwise it could have been really bad. Like if we got a, a manager who didn't have the same sort of, um, I don't know, like pull to get people to watch the games, and he was just someone that Swindon really needed. And if it wasn't for him, like who knows where Swindon would be at the minute. Yeah. Um, and he gives, obviously, beating Stoke away from home, playing Villa at home in the League Cup. It's just like two of my favourite games that I've been to and obviously getting promoted and things like that. And Northampton away when he ran down the pitch, I was like, he is absolutely fucking crazy. Because my dad knows me, he's like, oh my God, that's his hand. I was like, Jesus Christ, he's running down the touchline. I was like, I think what's crazy about De Canio is we all talk about him and there are the usual stories but every now and again especially now we live in a world where podcasts are making us making footballers so much more accessible just new stories come out all the time I mean Simon Ferry will he must have an archive full because you know I've spoke to him three times but he'll still he'll still bring out a different one every now and again um yeah. and some of the other players will as well it's just a, just an insane time and i'm sure eventually there'll be a book about his spell at swindon of some sort because because so, yeah. because everyone from the players the staff the journalists the fans they've all got a take on that on that era and there's so much excitement on the pitch as well so it it kind of works well well there we have it tommy there there we have your your episode plus and my 11 as a treat um as a swindon fan so now you're going to be going off playing Saturday football when, when the vaccination arrives and we can all go out and play again. So Swindon will become maybe a Tuesday night thing for you? Well. If you're lucky? Yeah, well, a lot of like we sort of play Saturday, Tuesday, so. Yeah. But still, even though like I got let go and things, and people used to sort of think that I was the only sport Swindon because I played from, I still... Obviously, the first score I look for being Swindon because I still am not a Swindon fan. Like on Saturday, um, I watch the game on I follow, and I'll be doing the same this Saturday. So it's still like a massive part of my life because my granddad is still has a season ticket. My dad still um, supports the nice supports and that's not going to change. So unfortunately, obviously, I won't be able to watch the games when the crowds come back because I'll be playing myself. But and obviously, I've still got friends that play Swindon in the first team and the youth team, but. I'm still in contact with them. I still keep up with the results. So um, I'll have time to watch Swindon, hopefully when I'm a, a bit older. But yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to watch them for a while. But I'll still be keeping up with the results and things like that. And it also helps like, listening to people like yourself and on Twitter. There's a lot of Swindon supporters who are quite active on there that sort of keep me in the loop. So <laughs> it's not too much of an issue. Yeah, we really should do more with our life, shouldn't we? Yeah. But, <laughs> but at least it's really good that, that you've gone through the whole journey with Swindon and you still support them as, as much as you do, which is really nice because so many times you hear like when you get that bad news that you're not being kept on, that it's like a breakup and we, we can't be friends anymore. But oh. it's, it's great that that's not yeah, the no, case that. for yourself. Yeah, that couldn't be any further from the truth, to be fair, because even, like, even though I got let go, obviously I've still got um, some of my best friends still play Swindon. It's just like, I've supported Swindon before. Even if I didn't play for Swindon for all those years, like, I'd still be a supporter. So that's not really ever going to change. I don't really understand people that say, oh, I want nothing to do with that club, because if you really supported them, it wouldn't have mattered. And that's the sort of way it is with me. It doesn't matter I'm not a player there anymore. I just like supporting them. That's what we love to hear. Tommy, thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Cheers, mate.
Strangers is a Swindon Town podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was designed expertly by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.